today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It's not so much what we say as much as it is how we say what we say. It's the Apostle Paul saying, let your words be seasoned with grace. There needs to be a loving way to say certain things. A lot of times it is so important to really be careful and prayerful with how you say what you say. You are listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. Our words can either make us look wise or foolish. Many times in the heat of the moment, our words are driven by our emotions. But as we'll hear today from Pastor J.D., we really need to think about the way we speak to others, not just the words we say. The Apostle Paul encourages us to season our words with grace and approach others in love. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with part one of his message, The Dangers of Unresolved Conflict. Let's get into our study of God's Word today, really looking forward to what the Lord has for us here at the beginning of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. Our text will be verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul is writing, and by the Holy Spirit says, verse 1, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did, verse 3, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share in my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone, verse 5, has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, verse 7, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, verse 10, I also forgive, and what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes or devices." The title that I chose for today's teaching is The Dangers of Unresolved Conflict. Here in our text, the Apostle Paul speaks of and points to 
specific situations involving unresolved conflict, and he does so both with and amongst the Corinthian Christians. And the conflict was actually between him and them and them and him as well. In so doing, he provides us with much-needed warnings about the danger of allowing conflicts to go unresolved, especially when it's amongst other fellow Christians, as was the case here with the Apostle Paul. The first danger is found in verses 1 through 4, which is that unresolved conflict can cause irreparable damage to our relationships. In verses 1 and 2, Paul continues to explain to them why it is that he didn't visit them on his way back from Macedonia the second time, saying that it was because if he were to do so, it would have been too painful, and he didn't want to cause them any further grief. In verse 3 says, he wrote a letter to them instead, so that when he did visit them, it would be a visit that was full of joy, instead of being full of basically stress and conflict. He then says in verse 4 that he wrote this letter in great distress, anguish of heart, and he even wrote it with tears. But it wasn't to grieve them more, rather it was to let them know of his deep love for them. This is one of the reasons why I believe that the Apostle Paul really, really loved very deeply these Christians there in Corinth. Keep in mind that he spent a year and a half there in Corinth. He planted the church there in Corinth. And I'm of the belief that he personally led many of them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that endeared them to him and vice versa, him to them as well. You might say that he had a lot of skin in the game, so to speak. He had a lot invested in this church and these believers there in this church. And maybe in some ways that's why it is that he was so hurt and grieved, and they were so hurt and grieved, and there was so much conflict there within their relationships. These first verses here in chapter 2 are really a continuation of the previous chapter. I hope you know that in the original manuscripts there were no chapter breaks. Those were added in the translations that would ensue. And I think this was actually an unfortunate place to put a chapter break because Paul is continuing his explanation such that he's expounding further as to why he changed his mind and decided not to visit them there in Corinth. It's interesting to note that Paul refers to this letter that he wrote. This is believed to be another letter, a letter for which we do not have any record, but what's interesting is, is he wrote the letter instead of visiting them, which to me speaks to this sometimes being the best alternative. You know, sometimes by writing a letter, it allows you and affords you the time that you need in order to really think through what it is that you want to say. 
Sometimes when I've been in a situation where there's been conflict, I just sense that it would be wise in that case to write a letter instead of meeting with them and talking with them. That's not always the best route to go, but oftentimes that is the best way to go. And this is what the Apostle Paul chose to do instead of visiting them. It seems that Paul deemed it best to write them, and he did so with the hopes that it would avoid further conflict and grief were he to go ahead and follow through with his original plans and visit them. This implies that there was already tension. There was already hurt feelings. There was already this this conflict and this grief between them. Now, this brings up the question of why don't we have any record of this letter that Paul wrote? And the reason we don't is because it wasn't inspired. And as such, it was not included in the canon of Scripture. One commentator of this wrote, Not every letter that Paul wrote was inspired Scripture for all God's people in all ages. We can trust that what Paul wrote in the missing letter was perfect for the Corinthian Christians at that time, but not perfect for us. Otherwise, God would have preserved it. We shouldn't think that everything Paul or other Bible writers wrote was necessarily inspired scripture, and such was the case with this letter that we don't have a record of. Well, be that as it may, we still have a problem of sorts as it relates to the Apostle Paul once again (laughs) finding himself needing to defend himself. And this because there were some in Corinth who had falsely accused him of not being a man of his word by not visiting them when he said that he would. Now, the reason I point this out is because oftentimes we do need to give an answer and defend ourselves in some cases. We do need to exercise discernment because sometimes it is not prudent, it is not wise to defend yourself. I've heard it said, best said, that your best defense is the Lord. In other words, let the Lord defend you. Pastor Chuck Smith used to always say that if you try to defend yourself, the Lord will let you, which would indicate that the Lord can do a much better job of defending you. And you don't want to get stuck in that trap of always defending yourself, because if you're always defending yourself, guess what will happen? You'll always be defending yourself. (laughs) And the enemy knows that, by the way. So he'll start all these little fires for you to put out, and so all you end up doing is putting out fires. Early in my Christian walk, I struggled greatly with two verses in Proverbs chapter 24. Perhaps you're familiar with them. It's verse 4 and verse 5, which at first read seem to almost contradict themselves. In verse 4 it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And then listen to verse 5, which again seems to contradict it. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, 
lest he be wise in his own conceit. Okay, so which is it? Verse 4 says, answer not a fool. And verse 5 says, answer a fool. So (laughs) here's how I've applied these two verses in my own life over the years when I've found myself in a situation where I've needed to discern whether or not to give an answer or to just hold my tongue and keep my mouth shut, which requires an extraordinary amount of strength (laughs) and power from the Holy Spirit to keep my big mouth shut. You know, we're all different parts of the same body of Christ, and I believe that I'm the mouth, uh, (laughs) the big mouth in the body of Christ. Well, here's what I have done, and it has served me well. If my answer and defense lowers me to the level of the foolishness to which I am responding to, then I don't answer. Let me say the same thing in a different way. If my answer and defense makes me as foolish as the one who I'm in conflict with, then I'm going to hold my tongue and answer not a fool according to their folly. I don't want to answer them in like manner, lest I become like them. Conversely, if and when my answer and my defense is wise in the sense that it will expose their foolish conceit, then I offer it. In other words, the wisdom of my answer can be such that it exposes the folly to which I am responding to. And sometimes God will, in that moment, give you the right answer at the right time to say in the right way. One of the things I'm learning is that I still have a lot to learn, but beyond that, one of the things I'm learning is that it's not so much what we say as much as it is how we say what we say. It's the Apostle Paul saying, let your words be seasoned with grace. There needs to be a loving way to say certain things. A lot of times it is so important to really be careful and prayerful with how you say what you say. And this is exactly what Paul does here in letter form. He's answering their foolish and false accusations in letter form, lest they become wise in their own conceit. Keep in mind, they had falsely accused him unjustly, unfairly, wrongly. They are clearly wrong, and the apostle Paul is clearly right. And he wisely knew that were he to visit them, it would have had the potential of causing further damage, possibly irreparable damage to their relationship. And that's what he wanted to spare them of, and himself as well. He didn't want that to happen. He did not want to create a situation, a scenario, where it would just go from bad to worse, which again is why he 
sends them this letter hoping to resolve this conflict. Adam Clark, in his commentary, said, Because of the scandals that were among them, he could not see them comfortably, and therefore he determined not to see them at all, until he had reason to believe that those evils were put away. One thing about writing a letter, and we'll move on, but one last thing about writing a letter instead of meeting face to face is that you have something that they then can refer back to. You have something in writing. Sometimes emails can be good and sometimes not so good. <laughs> have you ever sent an email and then wished you could unsend an email? <laughs> yeah. Neither have I. I just, uh, I, there's been so many times where in the heat of the moment, in the intensity of that moment, you send an email that you would have done well to have just maybe composed, but not sent until you've had an opportunity to really take it to the throne and say, Lord, is this what you want me to say? I tell you, there's been times where I have slept on it, so to speak. I've composed the email, and I resolved in my heart that I would not send it until I got a good night's sleep, which doesn't happen very often. (laughs) But assuming that I do, I wake up in the morning. His mercies are new every morning, and I'm reading that email that I composed the night before through a very different lens, and I think to myself, thank you, Jesus, that I did not send that email. And sometimes I don't send it at all, and sometimes what I do send doesn't even resemble what I could have sent had I not done what I did. Well, this brings us to our second one in verses 5 and 6, which is that unresolved conflict deprives people of healthy, and I'll add godly, restoration. In verse 5, Paul says, If one has caused grief, not so much that he was grieved, he's not talking so much about himself, but them, but because they're grieved, they shouldn't be too severe. And he goes on to say in verse 6 that the punishment they have inflicted on this unnamed man to whom he is referring by the majority of them there in Corinth is now sufficient. And in verse 7, he tells them they ought to not only forgive him, but comfort him as well, restore him, lest he become overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Clearly this unnamed man had that godly sorrow that Paul talks about that leads to repentance. It was a genuine and true repentance. Who's Paul talking about here? What is Paul talking about here? Well, in order to better understand what he's saying, we need to draw upon his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5. For those of you who are with us through our teaching of 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 5 we were introduced to a man in their church there in Corinth who was actually in a sexual relationship with, it's believed, his stepmother. And the problem was is that the Corinthians were tolerating it under the banner of love, which, by the way, 
is why it is that we have the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. It's as if Paul is saying, you think that's love? This tolerating of open and grievous sin? You think that you're being loving? That's not love. This is love. Love is, and hence the famous love chapter. So what does Paul do? Well, he sharply rebukes them for tolerating and embracing this man in open sin in their fellowship. And to their credit, Paul is referencing it now here in his second epistle. The Corinthians took heed to Paul's rebuke, and they did what he told them to do by removing him from the church. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5, we have the seriousness of this situation. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud? (laughs) Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So, when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, here's what you're to do. Hand this man over to Satan. Wow! Where's the love? No, listen to the rest of it. Hand this man over to Satan, here's why, for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. You know what happened? Exactly what Paul said to do in rebuking them, they did, to their credit, and it worked. This man was handed over, he was kicked out of the church, he was handed over to Satan, for the destruction of his flesh, and it woke him up. This man came to his senses. He had a godly sorrow that led to a genuine repentance, and now it was time to restore him. But the problem is, the Corinthians, I see them as being extreme on both sides of the spectrum. They were extreme on the side of tolerating this man, And then they were extreme on the side of punishing this man. And Paul says, pow already. That's the local way of saying enough already. You've you've punished him too severely, too extremely. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you'd like to learn more about the Apostle Paul's letter, we encourage you to continue reading ahead. As you do, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truths and promises contained in its verses to you. You can also hear additional messages from Pastor J.D. on this book by visiting our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Listen online or download these teachings to have available anytime. We've also created a mobile app as well for Apple and Android devices, so you can take Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you on the go. 
We'd also like to point you to the Aloha Prophecy Update tab on our website. And with more information, here's Pastor J.D. Thank you, Josh. One of the main reasons we do these prophecy updates is that we believe the rapture of the church can happen at any time. In fact, it may actually be closer than we even realize with all the things that are taking place in the world today. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said that when we see these things begin to come to pass, that we should look up and lift up our heads, knowing that our redemption draws nigh. We believe that Jesus was referring to that which is now happening in the world, especially geopolitically. It's my hope and prayer that these prophecy updates will be a source of encouragement to you as a listener, not only to ready you and steady you, but to share with others the lateness of the hour in these the last days of human history as we know it. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you will join us every week here at In Spirit and Truth Radio. Thanks, Pastor J.D. Head on over to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com to access these updates. And be sure to join us next time on In Spirit and Truth for more from the book of 2 Corinthians.